Welcome to the One Heart Podcast from Concordia University, St. Paul, where we share the stories at the heart of our CSP community. Greetings, listeners, and welcome to the One Heart Podcast from Concordia University, St. Paul. I'm your host, Billy Schultz. Today, I'm pleased to bring you an interview with alumnus Matt Eicheldinger. Matt is a dual degree alum from CSP, earning his bachelor's degree in 2009 and his master's degree in 2012. He's an educator turned author who's made a name for himself with his debut book, Matt Sprouts and the Curse of the Ten Broken Toes. Matt shares his journey as an educator and an author, the process and the perseverance it took to become a published author, and his future plans. I hope you enjoy this interview with Matt Eicheldinger. Well, thanks for being with me today, Matt. Yeah, no problem. Happy to be here. So let's get to know you a little bit and have you talk about a little bit about your background, um, starting with how you decided you wanted to be an educator. Uh, that's a great question. So I was actually planning all throughout my senior year of high school to be an architect. Like I thought that's what I was going to do. I thought, you know, I was kind of chasing the money. I heard that great made money and I like can draw kind of. So I was like, that seems like a natural <laughs> path. Um, but, you know, right right before I was going to pick a college, um, I was noticing and just thinking about all the times I had been involved as a camp counselor and a soccer coach for like uh, elementary school kids. And I was like, I always had fun doing that. Maybe I should become a teacher. And that's really what uh, kind of drove me to pick CSP in the end too. Like I had a track scholarship, which helped, but I really wanted a place where I could really get to know my classmates uh, while I focused on being a teacher. That's awesome. So yeah, and you grew up in Colorado, but yet came to Minnesota for college. Did CSP then uh, come out, recruit you and and say, we want you to come uh, join our track team? Yeah, I'm from a small mountain uh, town. It's not that small anymore. It's uh, Montrose, Colorado. And at the time I was getting quite a few recruitment letters and I got one from Concordia. I'd never heard of a Concordia before. And uh, they offered to fly me out just for a visit. And I just fell in love with doing something new, right? I'd never been in a metropolitan area. Um, I liked the size of the campus and the idea of it being small, kind of where I grew up, uh, like an intimate setting. Um, and so I chose Concordia and getting out of state too was something I wanted to try. Um, and Minnesota seemed to be a good fit. Well, that's awesome. So tell me about your student experience, uh, the different activities you're involved in, um, how, you, how you just immersed yourself in, in campus life at CSP. Sure. Um, it was really easy to immerse myself in Concordia. And that's uh, one of the things I loved about it right away is, you know, as a freshman, I think I was helping lead worship at uh, Wednesday night services. I forget what it, I think it was called fish back then. Fish, yeah. Yep. And I'm not sure what it's called now, but, you know, as a freshman, being able to have those opportunities was pretty incredible. Um, I was part of the track team, so I was busy every day, you know, getting to know the, the athlete side of things. Um, but outside of those two, um, really, it was just staying on campus my freshman year. Um, I didn't feel like I had to go anywhere else to get what I needed. Like we had a tight group of, group of friends that formed really quickly that kind of spanned so many different circles. I had friends that were pastors. I had friends that were athletes. I had friends who lived off campus. Um, so I just felt very immersed by my freshman year. Yeah, for sure. Who were some of the people that um, whether it was uh, faculty, staff, or fellow students that that had the biggest impacts on you uh, during your student years? Uh, for sure, uh, Dr. Julie Gartrell uh, Yoakum mm -hmm. um, was in the education department. 
Um, I had one of her classes my freshman year and ended up doing some independent studies with her. And I learned so much about um, just being a good human being from uh, <laughs> Dr. J. Um, we went to homeless shelters together. I helped tutor at homeless shelters. And I had never experienced anything like that before where I grew up, um, you know, seeing that type of need uh, and a lot of need. And so she really exposed me to that side of education. Um, not just, you know, being a public school teacher, but what can you, what, what things are out there that you can still do to help that are not in a classroom. And we still are connected today. We had lunch a, a couple of weeks ago. Oh, and so it's, it's cool to have that long term relationship. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's a common story of, of faculty members who mm -hmm. you know, are just so influential um, and really investing in students. So yeah, that's excellent. Yeah. And what I, what I liked about Julie too, is it wasn't just, um, you know, things that were a part of her class. Like she reached out to me and other classmates often just for opportunities, you know, once our class was over and, and that to me spoke a lot about the type of community that Concordia built, right. Is just not, I'm not just in your class once, right. I'm kind of in your class for life. And that was pretty cool. Wow. I like that class <laughs> for life. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> a great concept. Yeah. So where, where did you, uh, your teaching career take you then after you finished at CSP? Uh, talk about that. And then also the, you, you earned a master's degree at CSP as well. Yeah. So I graduated in 2009 and uh, went to the education job fair in Minneapolis for teachers and was super overwhelmed. You kind of stand in long lines and you see how many jobs that district has. And I was lucky enough to get hired for a full-time position in the Wyzetta School District. Um, and I was there for pretty much my entire career. Um, I was there until 2018 and I, I ended up leaving to go teach in Bloomington where I live. I wanted to be a part of the community that I taught in and then ended up having to leave as they went through budget cuts um, and Wyzetta rehired me. Um, and so, you know, having spent my time really only in two districts, um, I got to know those districts pretty well. Um, and had great experiences in both. Excellent. So now yeah. uh, you're on day two of of not being a full-time teacher for the first time in your career. Mm -hmm. um, let's talk about that now, your your new venture as a as an author. Yeah. If you would have asked me in college if I would have been pursuing, you know, writing, I would have laughed because <laughs> I was not much of a reader or a writer uh, at any stage in my life, really. Um and so really, it's kind of happened organically. So in my classroom, um, my, my first year teaching, I was noticing like all these teachers had things to give kids when they like answered questions. I mean, the, the thing was candy at the time, which is not really <laughs> what you should be doing. But teachers were handing out candy when kids would raise their hand. And I like didn't have money to keep buying candy. So I was trying to think about things that would incentivize kids to do well and something that they could learn about me. So I just started telling these silly stories from my childhood. And uh, that became something that we call the story jar, which is a literal glass mm -hmm. jar that has all these slips of papers of titles of stories, right? Of embarrassing things that happened to me or mistakes that I made. And kids would ask for these stories, you know, throughout the year. And uh, right before our first child was going to be born uh, in 2012, I was like, I should probably write all these stories down before I forget someday. Um, and so the plan was just to write them down as I told them in class, but as I was writing them, I was like, well, these kind of like connect, I'll just, why not try writing a book? 
And so I wrote the book in like 30 days, more out of fun than anything. Hmm. And then when I came back to my classroom and I had struggling readers, I thought, well, you know, they like my stories. I happen to have it written. I'll just give it to them. And they just ate it up. And that's when I started to realize I might be sitting on something that could potentially be published. And that's what started that journey. Yeah. So was it always called Matt Sprouts or or did that title come along later on? It I mean, I pursued publishing for about a decade, right? Okay. So it's it's morphed over time. Um, it was originally just called Ten Broken Toes. Uh the character's always been called Matt because the book is pretty much autobiographical, right? Like it's about me with exaggerated scenes and stuff. And <laughs> uh and so it it really hasn't changed much from the time I wrote it other than, you know, just common editing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that, that 10 plus year journey to get published, what was that like the fits and starts of, of talking with different publishers, editors, talk me through sure. that a little bit, what that was like. Well, I wish I would have been talking to publishers and editors, but I, I learned it doesn't work that way. So you know, being an education major, I had literally no knowledge of what it takes to get published. And so I just researched on my own. And step one is, you know, finishing the book. And then step two is if you choose to pursue publication with the traditional route, like through HarperCollins or any of those big publishers, you have to send what's called a query letter to an agent. And then that agent will either say yes or no to your project and then sign you and then try and sell your book to one of uh, the big publishers. And I just couldn't get an agent. I was just stuck on that for 10 years. I had a couple close calls where an agent would request to read the entire thing. But usually the time from when you send an email to hearing back from an agent is anywhere from like three to six months. Wow. And so you just sit and wait. And the longest I waited, at least in my mind, was I almost got signed. Someone was doing a full manuscript read of my book. And they said they'd get back to me in a week. And I waited like eight weeks. And every night I was just like, oh, this will be the next day will be the day I get the call. They'll sign me. And it just wasn't happening. And so uh, what I ended up doing, since I believed in my idea so much, is I decided to self-publish. And so I I crowdfunded the upfront cost. I just told people like, hey, do you want to buy the book before it's actually in existence? Like it's written, but it's not bound together. And um, I was lucky enough to have so many people in my life that contributed and so I self-published and uh, that's ultimately what what helped get me noticed is mm-hmm. I, w- I had a successful indie book and then uh, found an agent and then it sold really quickly to a large publisher. So now my book is the lead title for spring 2024, which just seems surreal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what does it mean to you to have such a strong and positive reaction to the book, wh- whether it's the support of friends and family and, and even strangers yeah. through the crowdfunding process and then um, after publishing? It's it's pretty incredible. Like I always thought going through all these query letters, like my story would be, you know, like I pursued and persisted and it was all me and I grinded. But when you really sit and reflect, I feel like my story is more about how so many individuals have helped me, right? Um, Dr. J, my professor from Concordia, she was able to connect me early on to a former Minnesota book of the year author. And he read my whole book and gave me some pointers. And had I not made that connection with Julie in college, that would have never happened. That's just one example, right? The Kickstarter is like a, a more tangible example from the outside. And so when I sit back and think, you know, how did I get here? It's really because I've just had so much support from friends and family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So now you have an agent, mm-hmm. you have um, an, a basically a republishing or a second edition of, of mm-hmm. the original Matt Sprouts and the Curse of the Ten Broken Toes coming out. Um, and then there's another book that I'll eventually come to. Yeah. So when, when I signed with my agent, um, my, my agent was uh, actually specializes in women's nonfiction. <laughs> and so she said, you know, I would love to sign you. Um, but this is usually what I do. And I was like, well, then why would you want to sign me? Like, how do I fit your narrative? And she said, I think this is going to be a slam dunk. I think we're going to sell this like soon. And that's more or less what happened. You know, some agents sit with a book for years before it gets bought. And my agent sat with mine for like a couple of weeks. And then I signed a two book deal to re-release the first independent one and then do the sequel. And I've got like, you know, five or six more in the series ready to be written. It is just dependent on how well um, these first two do. Um, But that's why I'm, I'm taking a year off from teaching. It's just to go all into this dream that I've just been pursuing for so long. And it's a risk, right? Like, and I felt like if I was teaching and trying to do this, um, it wouldn't be doing justice to not just myself, but all the people that have helped me along the way, right? Like, why not go for it? Um, yeah. And then since then, um, I've had this Instagram uh, growth that happened uh, just kind of out of nowhere. And, and that has opened up some opportunities to continue writing. So my agent and I have pitched other book ideas to the publisher and now we just kind of wait and see what happens in the next year. Wow. So that's exciting. And and you even went viral last summer, wasn't it? Um, or was it two summers ago <laughs> on social yes, media? I, Something totally unrelated to the books. Yes, totally unrelated. And I like to think that that more or less trained me with how to prepare for this. So like I had a, a viral video of me like unclogging a drain in a Target parking lot. And, you know, I got a lot of publicity from that. I was on, you know, uh, the Minneapolis, you know, Fox nine news. I uh, had articles written about it and it was and like product tossed my way. And it was really overwhelming in that like three weeks span. And then when this Instagram thing happened, all that happened again, but this time I knew how to handle it. And it's created a lot of opportunities too. Like I've, I've been booking public speaking engagements for, uh, for public schools and companies. And I just never would have thought that anyone would want to hear stories from my teaching career. Um, but I feel like I have found my audience. It's just taken me a, a really, really long time. Yeah. So what kind of topics are you speaking on with with the public speaking angle? Is it kind of just the journey of perseverance or or the power of having people come alongside you in pursuit of your goals? Uh, what do you, What do you kind of focus on there? It kind of depends on who I'm speaking for. Um, with teachers, my um, public speaking uh, deals with, you know, we don't get a lot of time to reflect as teachers, right? Our schedules are very tight. And, you know, having this time off has been interesting to look back on all these stories that I've have saved over my teaching career and see what I've actually been able to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And so when I go to speak to teachers, what I really want them to walk away with is to understand what is their innate talent in teaching. Because then getting a lot of the time, we are just kind of for lack of a better term, flying by the seat of our pants, right? It is just busy all the time. Um, and so to be able to help people sit and think about, you know, how have I really impacted students, I think is important. Mm-hmm. Um, but my story of persistence, I think is important too. Um, and I like to share that and embed that with stories as well when I do public speaking. Well, that's fantastic. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. so this school year, you're, 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 
focusing on being an author and uh, seeing where that goes. Do you think there are other um, other avenues, other media that that you might find yourself involved in, whether it's uh, you know maybe some sort of animated series or merchandise to go along with the books? Like, do you see other potential <laughs> avenues there? I mean. Uh, yes. Um, one of the problems I have, but maybe it's what has gotten me here today is I, I dream really large often. And so, you know, when I first wrote the book, when I was 22, I was like, this will be a bestseller. <laughs> or like when I sign up for a marathon, I'm like, I'm going to qualify for the Boston marathon. No problem. And so when I think about my future books, yeah, I think of merchandise. I think of everything that goes with, uh, you know, a potentially really big series. Um, but you know, realistically, what I want is uh, the longevity of my books, and I want them to be impactful for students. And then the group particularly that I want it to be impactful for is students who um, are reluctant to read. Mm-hmm. And when I knew that the books were going to do really well is when I had those non-readers telling me things like, this is like a graphic novel, like I'm reading it so mm-hmm. fast when there's no pictures in it. And, um, you know, as technology opportunities increase for kids to stay online and, and video game, which I, which I do and I love, um, reading is really what is going to, uh, you know, work out and stretch imagination. And, mm-hmm. and that's my hope is I get to do this long enough to where not only do my books get to help kids, but my hope is that I get to start to write books that, you know, help teachers as well. Yeah. I love that, that vision that you have that longevity versus, the flash in the pan, you know, have your yep. viral moment and then move on to who knows what else. Um, I really, I think that's, that's super admirable. And and we know the power of reading, um, mm-hmm. regardless of age, how beneficial it is uh, for, for any of us to be continually reading. Yes. And, and yep. Consuming content on, on a hard a piece of paper uh, card, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's a hardback or softback book. Yep. So crucial. Yeah. And so, you know, when I think of what am I going to be doing this year, you know, it's, it's writing projects, but what I really would love to do is uh, get to some um, schools that are in um, rural communities. Like with mm-hmm. my independent book, I really got to see more of education that I didn't get to see. I um, was lucky in that my, the districts that I've worked in um, have great resources. Not all districts have that. I went to a few different schools where they were using textbooks that I remember using when I was student teaching in 2009. And so, so what I would really like to do is get to a point in my career as an author to where I can start to give back a little bit and I can start to go do some free visits to schools that don't get as many opportunities. Uh, If I got to that point, I will, you know, I've had a lot of success, but that to me would be like the ultimate success as I am an author that has the opportunity to go do these free events um, that would be a great way to give back to all the people that have helped me. So any closing thoughts before we wrap up today about, you know, your experiences as an author or how Concordia shaped you uh, to where you are today? I guess my closing thought would be to uh, keep an open mind um, with what you're doing with your profession. Because if you, like I said before, if you would ask me that I was going to be a writer at any point in my life, um, you know, up through college, I wouldn't have thought that. And I guess my advice is it's okay to pivot, right? It's, it's completely okay to pivot. Um, even if that means a, a total career change, um, especially when you are surrounded by, uh, people that care about you and that have your best interests in mind. Um, it makes that transition a lot easier. Um, 
And I'm really thankful for, you know, the skill set that I got from Concordia. I felt like I was able to, you know, ex- you know, I, I got a great um, education to be an educator, but I also felt like I got to witness other people's careers too. Like I've stayed in touch with so many of my friends that are doing different things. And um, that's been inspiring as well. Super. Thanks so much for your time today, Matt, and and best of luck as you uh, enjoy this year of, of doing something different and, and, and seeing uh, where that path ahead and how it unfolds. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the One Heart Podcast. We invite you to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast and consider sharing with a friend. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on the One Heart Podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of Concordia University St. Paul. The material information presented herein is for general information purposes only. The Concordia University St. Paul name, all forms and abbreviations are property of Concordia University St. Paul, and using them does not imply endorsement of or opposition to any specific organization, product, or service.